Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the CONCACAF Champions League Review Show. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of the Four Scenes Fire American Soccer Show, the CONCACAF Champions League quarterfinal second leg review show, as those teams in both League MX and MLS uh, try to advance into the semifinals that will be held later in the year towards August, September, and then the one-match final will be in, oh, excuse me, in October as we get ready for some uh, interesting action moving forward and down uh, later in the year. What can you say? Once again, Liga MX sides are going to be dominating uh, the semifinals, Cruz Azul, Club America, and Monterey will be in the semis. And meanwhile, the Philadelphia Union are the lone MLS club that has advanced after their tussle with Atlanta United. Um, You know, what is the problem with MLS teams that are not able to advance deep into a big run? Um, I mean, I I will admit Philadelphia has come out of nowhere for me. They have come uh, surprisingly out of nowhere for me uh, with their recent string of matches that they have done well. Not, but, you know, this will be their first time in the semifinals uh, taking on a Liga MX side. And we're going to see how Jim Curtin and his kids and his crew are going to handle that. Um, obviously, the last MLS head coach to knock out a Liga MX side and sweeping both legs in the quarterfinals was, of course, in the 2008 run of the New York Red Bulls by then-head coach Jesse Marsh. Jesse Marsh getting a first-leg road win, 2-0, at Club Tijuana. And, of course, they were both away goals. And then Club Tijuana comes in, gets an away goal at Red Bull Arena, open the scoring, but then the Red Bulls get three more, one to level the match, uh, the second leg uh, at one, and then, of course, two more big goals in the second half, and that was a 3-1 final of the second leg, 5-1 on aggregate altogether. And, of course, the uh, tournament last year, which was not really um, semifinals for a second leg. It was a one-leg final, one-game semifinal. Um, Club America falling to Los Angeles Football Club final, two goals, three goals to one. And then, of course, LAFC falling to Tigas, two goals to one. And what can you say? But all you can say is, is that MLS clubs that have had an opportunity, whether they're American or Canadian, found ways to go out and pull off a job, yet they could not do the deal. Why is it MLS clubs cannot do it in Mexico? Well, look. If we're going to be honest with the situation, there are a couple of things. Yes, I know it is the salary cap 
the single entity. It's also the scheduling, not just scheduling the tournament by CONCACAF, but the scheduling of the tournament tournament against Major League Soccer and MLS. I think we all have to say it right now. I think you're just going to have to find a way to start playing matches in March. Now, I have brought this idea up in the past, and maybe I should bring it up again, because all I know is that we have right now, in the southern end of the country, we have clubs south of the border, or shall I say south of the Mason-Dixie line. They play in the winter to open the season, and they're all on the road, basically, for the northern end of the, of the clubs. So as we take a look, we have two teams from Florida in Orlando and Miami. We have Atlanta United. Now we are going to have three Texas clubs in FC Dallas, the Houston Dynamo, and Austin FC. You have Los Angeles FC. You have the LA Galaxy. Okay, San Jose may be a stretch, but still, though, I believe there's a, you know, the weather will not be that bad at the start of the year. But you can do it. Sacramento coming into the league, I think, believe Northern California is more of a um, northern cold climate in the wintertime. I don't know if we'll have those types of lukewarm temperatures over there, but at least, as I know, it's a possibility, maybe, to have those clubs play from the northern end into Southern California. Now, I will say that if you go to Montreal and or Vancouver, they play in during the winter. When it gets very, very cold, they move into indoor or retractable roof stadiums like, of course, the uh, Olympic Stadium, or as they say in French, the Stade de Olympique, which is next door to Stade Saputo. The Whitecaps play in Vancouver, of course. Um, BC Place. So at least you have two teams in Canada that you can play games up in Canada, and they can host games in Canada. Toronto, if they do us all a favor, they may be able to go into the uh, Rogers Center, formerly known as the Sky Dome, and ask, you know, Toronto Blue Jays, can we borrow your stadium for a couple of home games and, you know, play there? Unless they've already found a way to construct a retractable roof. That I don't know. I am not going to speculate on it, but, that, but it would be great if they do create it and make it better. And I'll say it right now. I think it's time to start the season in the month of February. And if we do that, then we can probably have enough games under the belts of those clubs starting their seasons in MLS 
that do qualify for the Champions League and that they can go and take on these Mexican sides and be better at it. But until we get to the point where MLS is going to start scheduling matches in February, and let's also remember, for MLS sides, the clubs coming from Central America and the Caribbean are not strong enough to take on MLS sides early in the tournament in the round of 16 unless they are having a very good match. Unless that is the case. But until then, you move into the quarterfinals and then you're going to take on Liga MX sides. Now, in this particular tournament, it was Atlanta versus Philadelphia. So basically that one was a wash. It was even for both sides. You knew one of the two were going to advance into the semifinals. You just had to hope that either Portland or Toronto or Columbus was going to join them in the party. And unfortunately, they did not. But if we can get MLS to schedule the start of the league in an earlier fashion... And I'm not saying they got to start like at the start of February, maybe in the middle of February to the end. I think that is enough to help out the clubs that have qualified for the Champions League. They can start on the road in warm climates, and then they go into their first leg on the road into the Central American zone, the Caribbean zone, and take on those teams. By then, by then, you have at least four to six or even seven matches under your belts. And then you're going to take on your Liga MX opponents in the quarterfinals. I think that would be a very, very good moment for MLS to adapt to the scheduling from CONCACAF because CONCACAF has to be fair, obviously. They have to be fair, not just to the MLS sides, but also to Liga MX sides and all these other sides that have, of course, uh, Apertura, Clausura seasons. And once again, Mexico and all clubs below from Mexico all the way down into the Caribbean gain an advantage because they can start their seasons earlier and the temperature of the atmosphere in those zones, including in Mexico, are better in the wintertime for us than it is in the United States, in the northern end of the United States, and, of course, Canada. That is unless you have a dome stadium and it's big enough for, of course, using it for baseball, the Canadian Football League, to go out there and play some home games. Because the truth is, is that I, I truly believe that if certain restrictions by the league itself get removed, and it's not just financial, it's also playing, then maybe some of these clubs are stronger and better 
to advance into the tournament and deeply into the tournament. Now, obviously, in the 2023 season, 2023-24, when we get to the fall, summer into the fall, we will get back into the group stage. And that's not a problem. I'm not worried about that. I am more concerned about the knockout stage, who will advance into the knockout stage when we get to the 23-24 season. And at the same time, with these last, we'll say two and a half now, because we're half, at the halfway point of this current edition of the Champions League, what can be helpful to Philadelphia if they do go all the way? and go to the final. As of right now, the way things are constructed, it's either CONCACAF makes the scheduling better in the knockout stage for MLS clubs, or MLS has to adapt, and they must make it better for their players who want to win an international cup tournament for the club side of this confederation. Because this is a big deal. This this is what matters. This situation matters very deeply. We have had Real Salt Lake Montreal Impact, or now Montreal CF, Toronto FC, Los Angeles FC, go to the final. They have not done the job to close the situation. That, my friends, is a tall task. We have to find a way to go out and find a way for our MLS clubs to get to that championship final and do the job and finally bring home that trophy. That golden little, I shouldn't say little because that's the World Cup to- uh, title, but you know what I mean. We need an MLS club in the FIFA Club World Cup. For some, it's not a big deal. For some, it is. But it would be nice if we can get there. And it would be nice to finally see an MLS club do the job. So let's get ready to go. Let's get ready and have some fun and let's see what happens down the road. Until then, it's going to be the same old situation and we cannot have that. We'll see what happens. Once again, the Philadelphia Union are the lone MLS side to uh, advance. They knock off Atlanta United three, uh, 4-1 on aggregate. And let's see what happens moving forward. Trying to get Jason Longshore on the uh, show, of course. 92.9 FM, the game.
And all you can say is is that for Atlanta United, <sighs> I understand some of the complaints. They weren't. Um, they didn't qualify. U.S. Soccer handed them uh, the spot. You know, it's a situation that uh, all you can say is, is that, you know, it's a situation where for Atlanta, they didn't really get it. They were handed it to them. But still, though, the situation is it doesn't matter. They were able to perform in it. They did well in the round of 16, but unfortunately, felt they ran into a brick wall. And that was the Philadelphia Union. Jason Longshore, 92.9 FM, the game. Um, you know, Jay, I have to say, you know, I, I thought Atlanta was going to make a big run here. I really thought this was their time to shine. And they did well in the round of 16, obviously. But then I don't know what happened in the first leg. And they get bombed and bamboozled against Philadelphia, 3-0. And then, of course, they pull one back, 3-1 on aggregate. But they just couldn't seem to get the second goal and to me I don't know if they lacked confidence or not in the final third but Atlanta just did not seem to be like themselves and maybe we don't have Jason at the moment so let's try him again Let's see if we can get him now. We're going to try to get Jason Longshore on again. Let's see if we get him now. Now let's see if we have him now. Jay, can you hear me, Daniel? I yes. hear you loud and clear. Can you hear me? Did you hear what I was asking? You want me to... I hear you now. Yes, I do. You want me to repeat it or you heard it? No, I heard you. Weird. Uh, technical gremlins. You never know how these things go. It's about like Atlanta's attack right now, huh? You know, it's just a exactly. little disjointed. Exactly. You're you're in a process here, I think, under Gabriel Heinstein. And it's it's not baby steps, but it, it is step by step. And seven games in, in a month's time, I think you saw a little bit of that in the second leg where, you know, legs got heavy in the second half as you're chasing it. And I appreciated the fight. I, I thought the guys worked very, very hard to get back in that. The Santiago Sosa goal, you know, was that lifeline you needed and you maybe would have hoped for it a little bit earlier in the first half. But these are the things that happen when you have the, the mental mistakes that, that we saw in the second half of the first leg. I thought the first 45, Atlanta was scintillating. They were, they were excellent in that first 45. And created chances, created dangerous chances, forced Andre Blake into five saves. You know, it's, it's hard to ask for much more outside of a goal, you know, and that's the hardest part to do in this game. That got in their head a little bit in the second half where they gave up a goal against the run of play on a set piece, and it just kind of snowballed when it didn't need to. That puts you behind the eight ball in leg two, and you have to open up even more. And, yeah, Philadelphia had chances in the first half because – you really risked a lot getting numbers forward, trying to make things happen. And this team's not firing on all cylinders yet. You know, you're still building those foundations of play. And 
I don't think they've progressed just yet to like step two and step three and step four in the final third. Like you're not seeing extra runner, you know, creating space. You're not seeing that extra body coming forward from the back line. You're not seeing that extra pass at times. It's little things that are not quite keeping this team from firing in the final third. And it shows against good teams. You know, Philadelphia is a very, very good team, and they made it difficult for Atlanta to do what they wanted to do. He really did. And, uh, I mean, look, you have to give credit to Jim Curtin for setting up this game plan against the uh, against Atlanta United. I, I really think – and nothing against Heinze at all. You know, look, he's done so much for the game. He's done so much in Argentina. He's been a very good manager Obviously, his first year in MLS and being in CONCACAF, I'm not throwing that against him or anything like that. But still, though, um, you know, being in this region of the world, you know, you've got to expect the unexpected sometimes. And I'm not saying he's going to be naive or anything, but you just got to be aware of certain things are going to come flying at you. You're never going to know what you're going to get. Yeah, no, I don't think that was it. I mean, Philadelphia didn't surprise me. Philadelphia played the way that you would expect them to play. They played their 4-4-2 diamond. Um, the first game, I loved Heinze's response to the the 4-4-2 diamond. It, it was a three kind of diamond or three box three from Atlanta. He's always going to play an extra center back to deal with two forwards from the opposition. And that, again, that first 45, I think it showed that Heinze was, was ready for the task and, and the tactics were good. And, you know, seeing a player like Bello play as more of a central midfielder in that first leg was a little bit of a revelation. So loved that. Second leg, you had to, to roll the dice a little bit more. So you had to go with more of your 4-3-3 and end up playing 2v2 a lot of times in the back, which is, is never comfortable, and it always promotes a counterattack. And I don't think Philadelphia even really sat back very much until the very end of the night in the second leg. They played their game, which is they'd love to control the possession. They'd love to have the ball when the opportunity presents itself. But if they don't, they're comfortable playing on the counter as well. And that's a credit to a good coach in Tim Curtin to be able to have a team that has multiple ways to play. And, You've seen it. I mean, we've seen games where Philadelphia has had possession and can control games with the ball, especially through that midfield four. And we've seen games where they don't have much of the ball, but they're still able to be dangerous. You know, you've got a few years under Jim Curtin if you're the Philadelphia Union. Again, here in Atlanta, you've got seven games now under Gabriel Heinze in a preseason that is not normal during the time of COVID. So. It kind of is what it is at the moment. I'd love to see, and we're going to see two more games between these teams in MLS play this season. Can't wait to see the next matchups between Atlanta and Philly. I wanted to actually get to Joseph Martinez first, but I want to go to that actually. Uh, what did you make of Jim Curtin's comments after the match? Because them's fighting boys. <laughs> they are. I was a little surprised. Um, I don't know what all led up to it. You know, like didn't hear all the comments between the two. Um, don't know what kind of built over the 180 minutes between these two. Uh, there were multiple situations uh, with Philadelphia wasting time, which is not a surprise. You know, everybody's been around the block a few times in this game. We know it's going to happen. 
I thought Sergio Santos went above and beyond a couple of times with feigning injury. And I think what set Gabriel Heinze off in the second leg was when his number came up on the subboard and then Santos acted like he was cramping up and couldn't make the walk over to get off the field. Um, little things like that. It's a little, it's a little beyond it. Um, is that Jim Curtin's fault? I don't know. I don't know if he instructed his players to do that. I would assume that he didn't, but he also acknowledged that these things happen. And I think everybody knows that. Was a little surprised with the, uh, the name calling from Jim Curtin. I didn't expect to hear that one from him. I don't know where the American manager versus foreign manager element came into it. I don't think it really had anything to do with the situation. I think you had a very a, a matchup between two good teams that had a lot of friction in it, and that's good. That's good for the game. It creates good matchups, and it will create two more good matchups in the league. Um, I hope, thought Gabriel Heinze, tried to downplay it and tried to not continue whatever feud is trying to be built up in his comments today ahead of the Miami match. I, I hope that it doesn't overshadow what will be two more really good games because it shouldn't. And it shouldn't be the story right. coming out of this. The story should be, you know, Atlanta threw everything they had at Philly in the first 45. Philly took the body blows and then sucker punched them on the, on the counter or on the set piece and then on the counter a couple of times. And that made the difference in the tie. And that's a credit to Philadelphia. And it's also something Atlanta can hang their hat on a little bit from that first 45. They need to get back to where they're playing like they did against Philadelphia, where they forced Andre Blake into so many big saves. You would say it overshadowed Armas versus Tata, right? Yeah, because I think the difference with that one in 2018 was, was I thought Chris Armas started walking that one back immediately and he didn't need to because I didn't think he did anything wrong he was you know getting his crowd going and and Tata Martino I think misinterpreted what Chris Armas was doing and that's going to happen and again like that's that's fine it's not a big deal but that one immediately was downplayed from one side in this case I mean Jim Curtin mentioned it again in a second media availability which I was really surprised by uh, I don't know what's been building up to that. Again, I don't know what was said between the two throughout the, the 180 minutes, but it felt a little out of place. I, I hope that it doesn't continue to become a story. I mean, Gabriel Heinze made it pretty clear his feelings today, and they were not the same that Jim Curtin has said a couple of times after the match and then again in a media availability. Again, I was just a little surprised by that. Yeah, me too. We'll see what happens in those two league games uh, when it pops up. Um, from your perspective, how did Joseph Martinez look to you since coming back from uh, the ACL tear? He's still out of sync. He's not sharp. Um, there were a couple of crosses in the second leg that, you know, I got that little jolt of energy because I've seen Joseph go up and win those headers and, and time it perfectly and uh, have a powerful header past a goalkeeper. And there were two that I remember specifically that I got that burst of energy and they were mistimed. And it, it's not about any kind of an injury situation for me at this point. I don't think there's any hesitation from him because of what happened to his knee. I just don't think he is in sync right now. And, and I think it's something that there's not a magic fix for. It, it's something you have to play through. And the, the players in the team have to not putting him in positions where he's going to have a chance to finish. And you have to almost play through this little bit of a slump. You know, he's just got to get back into a rhythm and be able to get his timing back because 
people talked about, you know, what, what makes Joseph Martinez special. For me, it was always his timing. He knew exactly when to make his run. He knew exactly when to make his leap. You know, he knew exactly when to drop into the midfield and help build up the play. He knew exactly where the game was going to take him. And right now, I don't think he has that feel at the moment. And you can lose that when you don't right. play in over a year. And he's just got to get that back. No, I agree with you there. And, uh, look, there's plenty of time, plenty of games left in the league season. So we'll see what he does there. Um, so before I let you go, how many games are you going to lose Conti to the Atlanta Hawks playoff run, huh? No, I, I, got, I got rights on Conti. I got rights on him. Uh, we'll, we'll send somebody else for the uh, the Hawks pre and post. I, I I got Mike with me. There you go. There you go. That's a good job. Good designated good job. player signing right there, Mike Conti. That's right. Good old Mike. I'm happy to hear that because no offense, Mike's a good guy. I love him. I didn't know he was working on uh, Hawks basketball games and. Uh, you know, my Knicks are uh, all of a sudden back alive and out of nowhere, and I'm loving it. We'll see. I hope we will get a Hawks-Knicks playoff round one matchup. We'll see what happens. But, boy, I'll tell you, Jay, yeah, this is going to be it's amazing to watch. Way. But I don't want to get out of Yep, yep. But I don't want to lose focus here. But still, though, uh, tough loss against Philly. Uh, great Great action, I think. and uh, But still, though, let's see what Atlanta United can do in the league play. So have a good night. I'll talk to you again soon. You take care, okay? Appreciate it. You too. Thank you very much. Jason Longshore, 92.9 FM, the game in Atlanta, radio analyst of Atlanta United. Tough way to go down, but you know what? This guy is happy because the Philadelphia Union – are going to the semifinals. It's going to be a tall task, but before the tall task, they defeated, on aggregate, Atlanta United four goals to one. Matt Ralph, brotherly game of SB Nation. Matt, if I can just say this, is this the game plan that Jim Curtin drew up to get this club as deep as possible in this tournament? I don't know if it was necessarily the game plan. Uh, to, to, yeah, Atlanta, but, you know, certainly, um, you know, I think the second line is a very good spin. You know, they play the 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 after the, the loss in the league, and you know, just kind of, you know, look at it Matt, we're going to try that again. I'm going to call you back. Uh, we had some interference there. Um, I'm going to call you back and see if we can connect a little better. So hold on one second. All right, we're going to try that again because I don't, I don't want to lose Matt here. Matt Ralph does a great job covering the Philadelphia Union on SB Nation. So let's see if we can uh, try and get the, the connection uh, sorted, and let's see if we can get him back on. Matt, are you there? Yep. Oh, good. Much better. Much better. Um, okay. Obviously, 
uh, 3-0 in the first leg, and you forced Atlanta to chase it. They pulled one back, but second half, I mean, basically Philadelphia just, you know, a couple of gut punches here and there. They found ways to move forward, and, you know, I, I mean, I don't know how old Casper Shabilko is, but let me just say this. It's amazing to see a guy like that, a designated player, five goals in four all four matches of this Champions League run that the Union are having, how amazed are you that he's been able to convert chances and just doing it in, in, a, in a fashion that I don't think probably any of us have ever seen, uh, those of us that are outside of Philadelphia? Well, I mean, first of all, he's not, he's not actually a DP. Um, they have one DP in the roster, which is Jamiro Montero. And, I mean, I think the, the interesting thing about Casper is that he hasn't really looked at me. Um, and, and, and I know that maybe some of them but, you know, he, he could probably have more. And the strikers are uh, interesting. You know, like the first half of the game, uh, he was basically a non-factor, and uh, you know, you know, Jimmy even heard even that he's probably as hard as he's ever been. So, uh, you know, he did come out. He had a great second half in the game. Just that. Uh, the, the union didn't produce a lot of chances in the second leg. Like, didn't need to. So, uh, you know, I think it was almost, uh, you know. quiet and sleeping. I know you can't disturb them and everything. So um, you try another room if you can. Um, But I will say this, you know, nothing against the union. I mean, obviously this is their first time in the Champions League here in CONCACAF. And I'm just amazed at the run that they're having and how strong they were or they are so far in these four games. Jim Curtin has done a great job. But I will say this, though, about Jim Curtin, what made him upset with Gabriel Heinze, uh, manager of Atlanta United, to have those comments being said after the match? And, of course, uh, 
you know, getting ready for your uh, for the union's next league match this coming weekend. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, you know, I think it, everyone watching the game at home probably noticed it even even more than those of us who are at the match. But you know, you could tell that there was uh, you know, there was a lot of uh, exchange going on between. Uh, Curtin and uh, and Heinze at the end of the game, and uh, the brother game photographer uh, captured quite an image of you know Jim with his you know pointing his finger, putting a finger in Heinze's face, you know basically not not very happy about it. And you got Andre, Alejandro Bedoya kind of sitting. I, I made the joke that it had like you know Bedoya had middle child vibes there with you know his uh, older and younger brother fighting or something, but. It did, you know, it was it was definitely a you know a thing that blew up on <laughs> online, and uh, you know I think Heinze re- responded to Jim's comments again today. But I mean, the the gist of it was is that you know Heinze was upset at some of the, the the tactics that let's face it, you know, are not uncommon for uh, for for soccer teams in competitions where you know they have a lead and they're trying to preserve it, and you know they try to slow the game down. They, you know, they, they fall down, they stay down longer, you know, the, the time, the various time-wasting gamemanship stuff that happens. And, you know, I think that, uh, you know, Heinze just took offense to that and was not happy. And, um, I mean, according to Curtin, like, he didn't really want to shake his hand, and, and Curtin got upset about that because, you know, the game's over now, you know. And, uh, you know, he, you know, he said that he was acting like a sore loser and, and an asshole and, uh I, I, I sort of take umbrage with people saying he called him an asshole. He said he was acting like one, um, and he also said lots of nice things about him as well. So, um, you know, someone he he said he's a coach he respects. He just was being a sore loser. So, um, you know, and it's it, it, you know, it, it, in some ways it's it's just, it's kind of fun to see the manager. It's kind of fueling a, a potentially a rivalry between these two clubs, and um, you know, it definitely you know as as a writer sometimes I'm like, okay, sure. You know, we had this really nice piece, you know, an- analyzing what happened and you know, the thing that gets like, you know, 10 times as much traffic as like a show's having a beef. So, um, you know, it, it gets the headlines, it gets people excited, you know, Union fans and Atlanta United fans were, um, you know, already kind of at each other after the first game. And, you know, it's it, it's funny to me to sort of concentrate on time wasting and, all of those things that are employed, uh, you know, when your team lost four to one in aggregate. So, uh, and you know, and still, I think it's ten numbers, like they were playing mm-hmm. one game as, as opposed to two legs, and they got themselves into a huge hole. And when you when you have when you give a team a position, you know, they're they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna employ whatever tactic they can to basically end the game and slow it down and and make it hard for you to get back into it. Um, that's why a 3-0 lead is a really tough lead in soccer because, um, because there's lots of ways teams can uh, can limit you from, from, from making a comeback in games like that. No, I understand. And, you know, look, it's a situation where you have no choice. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be tough coming back, and uh, it's going to be hard uh, for a team like Atlanta to you know, being down 3-0 on aggregate plus – you know, you're leading on away goals regardless when Atlanta pulled one back to make it 3-1. And, you know, you just, you're just trying to force trying to force them to uh, be in positions they don't want to be in, and they just can't find a way to do it. So that's all you can really say and do. So 4-1 on aggregate, 3-1 on away goals. Atlanta, uh, Philadelphia advances to the 
semifinals and nothing in this tournament until uh, August for the first leg and you'll be host Philadelphia will be hosting the first leg and then you go down to Mexico City for the second leg to take on Club America uh, at the Estadio Azteca and usually the semifinals would be you know right away it would be probably uh, the start right about now and you don't have to worry about that until uh, August later in August of this year is that a you think a advantage for Philadelphia or do you think uh, they want to get the damn thing going right now yeah I actually think I actually do think it's an advantage for for uh, for Philadelphia uh, you did get it flip-flop but the Union will be hosting the match in September they'll go to, to Mexico City in August uh, which is is not in season for Club America so uh, that's that should be somewhat of an advantage uh, for the union. We'll see how many fans at that point. They're, I don't think they they're allowing fans in there yet. Um, that stadium. So um, by August, you would think there would be some fans there. I know there's some union fans that want to travel down to that match. You know, because it, it's it being the first competitive game that the team will will be playing in Mexico. Um, but I definitely think that. Um, you know, given all the, the fixture congestion, the you know, the struggles uh, in the league, um, they they haven't necessarily put together a complete game in Champions League. Um, I mean, maybe the maybe the last game was the most complete game they, they tied, uh, but they weren't. You know, they, they were they were consistent from the first half to the second half, where and even in the, the match where they beat up on. On Saprissa, they didn't necessarily have a great first half. They, they, it was scoreless at halftime. They got, you know, probably a, 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 a you know, uh, a soft penalty, which has become another name for Concacaf penalties. Um, <laughs> got that going, and, they, and then they, and then they, and they won four nothing. But in terms of the type of game that the Union's going to need to advance to the final, I don't think they've played yet this season. Um, against lesser competition. So uh, definitely, you know, adding a piece or two, uh, getting the team kind of going in in league play, leading into that game in August, I think is definitely an advantage for the union because, I mean, I think if they played them next week, it would be, uh, you know, it would be a really, 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 it would be highly unlikely that they would get a result from, from the team, at least the team that I watched against against Portland. Yes, they were sloppy. They were playing on, you know, playing in the rain, and you know they they you know they were definitely susceptible to, you know, would be susceptible to the pressure that the Union create. But um, I, you know, I just uh, you know in terms of you know talent top to bottom, I I think where the Union are at, especially if you consider that Montero will be suspended for that first leg. Um, which was a huge, uh, huge loss for them. Um, you know, if they don't bring in another, you know, some more experience, you know, the midfielder um, or you know somebody to sort of add a spark into that midfield or at least provide some depth off the bench, um, you know, to play a team like America, um, you know, uh, that would be that would be, a, that would be an even taller task to do next week um, or two weeks from now, but. August, a lot, a lot can happen between now and then. Obviously, also injuries can happen too. Um, hopefully, El Sino is able to play again. Um, 
you know, who knows what, what, how that's going to go for him recovering from his injury. It's, it's been sad not to get to see Olsenio playing in Champions League, um, you know, just, just because he's been such a great player and has done so much for the union off the bench that it would have been really would have been nice to see him at least get, get a game under his belt in Champions League, and hopefully that does happen in August or September. So, um, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, I, would, I, would, I would give a slight advantage to the union in that. And, um, I mean, look, it's, it's, it's not impossible for them to get it, go in there and, and beat Club America or advance against Club America if it comes down to that. But, um, you know, it's going to take some work, and it's going to take, uh, you know, a team that's, that's going to have to be firing at all cylinders and, and, and playing, you know, playing pretty well to make that happen. So I see that, as, you know, potentially happening uh, uh, more maybe in August or September than it would be right now. Yeah, I agree with you there. All right, Matt, look, get some rest from Champions League, get back into league play, and I will talk to you during the year. Thank you very much, and have a good night. Great. Thanks for having me. Always a good to talk to you. All right. Same here. Thank you very much. Matt Ralph, brotherly game from SB Nation covering the Philadelphia Union as they advance into the semifinal, the lone MLS side to go into the semifinals of this CONCACAF Champions League. Aggregate was against them. Cruz Azul uh, Pat made sure that Toronto is stayed buried, unfortunately, they lose 1-0 at the Estadio Azteca, and uh, Toronto FC are eliminated from the tournament. Dwayne Rollins, 24th minute blog. Soccer today with Kevin Laramie and the Sports Podcasting Network up in Canada. Um, I will say this, Dwayne. I thought it was a valiant effort in the second half by Toronto FC. Golasso by Angulo once again. Uh, he was all over the pitch. Basically, just Defense by Cruz Azul, Toronto, they tried their best, obviously, just unfortunately just up against it. Well, yeah, I mean, Cruz Azul is the better club on talent based on, on the players available for TFC. Maybe if, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda, maybe if Toronto has a full lineup, uh, they can roll something out that's a little more impressive, a little closer in match. But, uh, yeah, you're right. In the second leg, I think both clubs kind of managed things a little bit. TFC would never admit that they went into that with damage control in the mind, but they might have, particularly some subs at second half, looking ahead to the game against the Red Bulls this weekend. Uh, you know, TFC's on one point uh, so far in the season, which has them a little buried, so that they need some points. And look, the, the win in the first round, it was a tough draw for them. The win in the first round, I think, is something they can hang a hat on, particularly how the young players played. Never really were able to recover from a sluggish start in the first leg against the Cruz Azul. And it's done. It's done for another year. But uh, this is early days in the Ellie Curtis remake of, uh, or at least refresh of, of TFC. So, so I think all in all, you can't go away from this too disappointed, provided that it doesn't uh, sideline any further advancement this year. And, you know, of course we see a week that we've just had since this game actually where TFC has added two pieces. So, um, you know, this is a club that well spend and well refresh and, and moving forward into the, into the season now uh, with all the challenges that it still has for, for the Canadian teams, but, uh, but nonetheless. No, absolutely. I mean, look, uh, CSA, you know, they can't really hang their heads down too hard. 
you know, Toronto, Montreal, they've done, you know, Canada proud on the soccer side, getting to a final each uh, in the Champions League. Unfortunately, both sides falling to Club America uh, in the final. And, uh, you know, like you said, uh, Toronto is uh, trying to rebuild a bit here, trying to move on. The days when, of course, uh, Michael Bradley and Josie Altidore call it quits from their careers. This is a situation, like you said, you know, you're, the Toronto's actually finally getting a chance to use these kids that are coming through their academy. And you've said it yourself. They've done well in academy play uh, in those, in those uh, youth tournaments up in Canada. And maybe you're going to finally see the fruits of your labor turn around and say, you know what, you can develop and you can show that your kids are going to be big, big and strong, that they can do it not just in MLS play, but in international cup competition. Yeah, well, yeah, the under-17s won the, the Dallas Cup or the you know, Dallas Cup against uh, the Galaxy a couple of years ago. So, so there's talent there, right? A uh, quick correction on you. It was, uh, it was Chivas that uh, TFC lost in the final two, not, not Club America, but, but nonetheless lost they did. Um, yeah, absolutely. That, that's the blessing in disguise, or blessing in disguise, the icing in the cake, however you want to put it, whatever cliche you want to put on this, in this, is that we, we got to see, um, you know, some of these younger guys step up and have an opportunity. Well, Prizo, uh, uh, Jacob Schaffelberg, who we've seen before, but, but maybe not in the last year for sure. Uh, these are guys are going to be key. Um, you know, the, the big pieces are missing right now, and we have yet to see Alejandro Pozuelo play defending MVP, you cannot dismiss that. You know, it is not an excuse to say that you lost partly because your very best player was not in the lineup because no team is going to be able to, to overcome that in any lengthy period of time. Uh, you know, it's it's a very young season, but TFC has already played seven times in it. That is a lot with a, a lineup that is not fully fit. So uh, they had thankfully had a bye week last week in the early season in, in MLS play, but as I said, Look, the focus has to be on the league play now. Um, as much as you mentioned Montreal's run in the CCL, they, they've had two runs in the CCL, made a semifinal as well. Uh, TFC made the final once. They've made a semifinal as well in the past two. So, so there has been some success with uh, Montreal and, and Toronto, not so much Vancouver. But, but the Canadian entries in this, uh, this competition have traditionally done well. It is a tournament that is in Canada and you know, even before sort of the most recent period of times where I think uh, MLS as a whole has taken it a lot more seriously than the Canadian teams always did. I mean, that always had something to do with the fact that, you know, Canadian teams are already an outsider in their league, so they're used to trying to step it up, play internationally. It's, it's part of their, their DNA in some ways. So so the fact that these games weren't able to take place, that they weren't able to get back to BMO Field and have those, you know, nights, and, and it wouldn't be cold for us, but it would be cold for the Mexican teams to come up at this time of year or in April, I should say, but uh, it's kind of a loss, and it sort of in that way doesn't feel like – it doesn't feel like they were even in it. Like, these games are all – it's such a weird, hard to conceptualize, hard to explain. Like, I get that a lot of American fans can't physically go out to watch their, their team or it's very challenging for them because of limited capacity, but at least their team is in their home market, whereas, you know, if you're a Toronto sports fan, you're staring at not having any of our teams playing here other than the Maple Leafs and and that's just a weird sort of situation for a city that is very sports driven and TFC is a big part of that so look they lost that's sad but it it, just, it feels like this another expansion of the same TV series we've been watching for a year and a half and and really I think a lot of TFC fans are just focused on 
hopefully getting some points together in this stretch in May and, and getting the, the more important numbers in lineup here in terms of being able to reopen that border to at least allow uh, TFC and, and the Blue Jays, for that matter, to get back up here and playing on their home turf, which would make us all feel much better and much more, you know, satisfied after what's been a very long 18 months for everyone around the world. And it's still going to be a long time for a lot of people in other parts of the world that are much more, much less fortunate than certainly the U S and us as well. So, so yeah, that's kind of where my focus is on this. And, you know, as I said, there were, there were some blessings in disguise in that first, first series against uh, the first series. And uh, yeah, here we are. You know, that's, <laughs> I was trying to kick that out of my head. Couldn't get there for a second, but yeah, yeah we move on, Daniel. It's uh it's, Games ahead on uh, Saturday. They keep coming. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And we'll see what happens when Chris Armas returns to Red Bull Arena on Saturday. But still, though, um, you know, look, I, I think Toronto did a, an admirable job. Like you said, it was damage control. Um, I, I thought they did a very good job of trying to get themselves back into the match if they could. Uh, like you said, Cruz Azul was the better side, and uh, of course they're playing at the Estadio Azteca. I understand they're building a brand new stadium um, for themselves, so not a big deal. But still, though, that had to be a a big moment um, for some of those players. That you know, I don't know if they've ever gone internationally with uh, you know under 17s, under 20s, or anything to play some of these big time. Uh, National teams outside of uh, outside of Canada, but that had to be an eye opener for them to see how big and how lavish Estadio Azteca was for them. Yeah, for sure, yeah. I mean, look, um, I've always felt very strongly that uh, there's a lot of benefit for our national team program here in Canada to get more opportunity to play in Central America. It's one of the reasons I'm disappointed. Um, in the uh, CCL changes that are scheduled to happen in two years' time because the Canadian Premier League teams, although they get more teams in the new version of it, um, they will not be particularly competitive games that they're involved in, and they won't be going down into play Central America. I was thought that's a loss to the Canadian system, not a gain. You know, yeah, you get to, I don't know, have Cruz Azul go to FC Edmonton or something, but I don't know what benefit that is until those clubs are able to compete with them on a better level. But nonetheless, you're right. It is just another exposure to these tougher environments for, for some younger players. And, uh, you know, the TSC Academy has been hit and miss over the years, but big part of the miss has been that they haven't, this is not unique to Toronto. It's, it's kind of an MLS problem more than a Toronto problem, but it's finding that final step. And, you know, in TFC's case, it's been particularly difficult in, in the last, you know, pandemic times, because in addition to them just maybe not getting the chance with the first team, the TC2 was not even, didn't play last year. Uh, they couldn't because of the pandemic. Uh, they are scheduled to kick off uh, later this month in the, the level two in the championship there, not the championship, but the league two in USL uh, in Florida again, and, and hopefully back up here eventually. So that, that's a good thing there. But I mean, you, a lot of these kids are stepping straight in from basically a year without playing into trying to compete at this level. And that's a big step up. And, and the club Lyon series was, you know, quite a win there, but you can't overlook the fact that there's a limit to where these guys are now. And when you look at TFC's overall record in the seven games, they played this, this part of this uh, year, they only have one win. So, there's work to do and they need their stars back 
and we're still probably two weeks away from Pozuelo coming back. Um, you know, new DP this weekend, hopefully, but we don't know what that means yet. Uh, you know, work to do, points to get, uh, seasons long, and, and this part of it, uh, although had some benefits early, was probably becoming more of a distraction than, than a helpful factor in it at this point uh, in it, what is a team that is, I don't know, rebuilding is the wrong way to put it. TFC is not an MLS team that will ever fully rebuild again, but that they are definitely refreshing at this point. I agree with you there. Now, I yes, my error, I should have said Guadalajara against uh, Toronto in uh, 2018. I'm trying to forget them because they beat the Red Bulls. And I didn't tell you this because I wanted to wait and see if they were going to beat Guadalajara, the Red Bulls, and then if Toronto was going to beat Club America in the semifinals back in 2018. So I was talking to my wife and I was saying to her to this, I didn't tell you this at all. I said to her, if the Red Bulls make it to the final and they're going to take on Toronto, I wanted to do with you and gesture of will for each other. I was willing to allow you uh, to stay at my place for the Red Bull arena leg if you would allow me to stay at your place for the BMO field leg. I well, wanted to do that for you, and I hoped you would uh, help me out and do it for me because I was ready to fly over to uh, Toronto for if the Red Bulls and TFC was, were going to be in the final in 2018. I, I was seriously considering it. And I didn't ask you yet because I wanted to see what would happen, and unfortunately my side of the bargain didn't happen. Red Bulls lost on aggregate 1-0. They couldn't get that uh, equalizer to either force penalties or get two goals at home against a Chivas side that basically um, trapped and, and defended all, all 90 minutes long, unfortunately. But um, I wanted to let you know I was planning this. Just I'm trying work, to think where I was living, but, yeah, I don't, we'll never know. But uh, yeah, that Chivas team was, ironically, <laughs> from a TFC perspective, ironically, was the weakest team TFC played in that run. But – um, you know, Alex Bono made a, a keeping error in the first leg. Uh, the, the wind caught a free kick that sort of chipped him from a bad angle and too far out. And then yep. uh, Marky Delgado missed a, a pretty <laughs> – sitter might be a strong way to put it, but a very, very good chance to win that game outright in, in the second leg, which Toronto did win the game in Guadalajara, uh, which, you know – look, I was saying this today. That Tigres team was – maybe is the best team I've ever seen play a competitive game people feel for sure. The whole organization, when Tigres rolls into town, you know that there's something big coming into town. They are, they are a class act all around. And for TFC to take them down in that yeah. run was absolutely remarkable. No, it really was. It, it really, really was. And, uh, you know, I, I have to say a lot of respect. I don't know if you ever met these guys. I met them. Uh, at Red Bull Arena, they're doing a documentary on Guadalajara and they're running the, in the Champions League. I think it was an anniversary for the club or something like that. I could be wrong, but uh, I know that uh, those guys were very nice. Uh, I helped them out because, as you said, tons of Guadalajara fans uh, at Red Bull Arena, and and it was just amazing to watch. Red Bull Arena, I would say half or almost three quarters full of Guadalajara supporters. It was just amazing. And they I'm are one of the better. Yep. 
I was just going to say, I, I, yeah, yep. you know, memory serves. The, the press box for the Chivas, uh, the first leg of the final, was uh, there had to be 150 journalists that came up. <laughs> You know, and half of them were TV journalists, like impossibly attractive people walking around Beemo Field that night, too. It, it, the Mexican teams, when they travel, they, you get a bit of a taste of the difference in finances between MLS and Liga Mexi when, when you see at the Champions League level behind the scenes just how much more support staff, how much more attention that they have. And, and it, you know, not to, to dismiss MLS's gains in the last little while, but when you watch Tigres come in, when you watch Chivas come in in those big uh, moments, like it's a little different than, you know, the Colorado Rapids coming through town, right? It, it just is. And well, it's, of course. it's of course. yeah. No, 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 no disrespect to Colorado. Well, no, no, no disrespect at all. I mean, look, I, I mean, you know, I think we have to know, look, these clubs have been around for a longer period of time and, we're just over a quarter century of soccer so far, so we'll have to uh, take it for what it's worth. But listen, Dwayne, I thank you very much. I'll talk to you during the year, and you take care, okay? Cheers. Cheers. Dwayne Rollins, 24th-minute blog, Soccer Today with Kevin Laramay, Sports Podcasting Network. Now we go to Columbus, and it's a house of horrors. Estadio BBVA in Monterey. Columbus just getting blitzed, 3-0 loss in the second leg, and 5-2 on aggregate. Patrick Gouldan, massive report on the Columbus crew through SB Nation. Um, you know, look, I, I, there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong losing to a team like Monterey. They've, they've won this tournament how many times? Three for my memory, of course. Three to four in my memory, of course. They beat Real Salt Lake, and then the next two years, they defeat Santos Laguna twice consecutively under Victor Vucetic. And then, of course, uh, they won the tournament last year. Diego Alonso was the manager then. Uh, Miguel Herrera now managing Monterey. Uh, this was a very uphill battle for Columbus. But, I, I look, they played admirably, Patrick. That's all you can ask from them. They, they did as best as they could. Yeah, that's it was always going to be a tough uh tough hill to climb, you know, without Lucas Elleron who uh was in Monterey uh at that game and then you know also giving up that late goal and and losing that and that aggregate uh lead um kind of set the 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 table for what you're going to see in uh in Mexico and you know I I, th- I think that uh everyone was hoping for maybe a little bit more competitiveness out of the the crew team but um, you know, for for all the signings, for all the depth, for all the the uh, the, the things that the the team tried to do in the off season to kind of build for Champions League and then an, an extended period of uh, of MLS play, you know, they they really weren't able to bring that to bear because uh, you know you, you you don't have Zellerion who who really kind of runs things, and uh, you don't have Kevin Molino and uh, you don't have Milton Valenzuela at left back and. You know, there's there's a couple holes in this team that uh, it was a little bit tough to overcome, and you could obviously see the difference in class with what Monterey was able to bring. Uh, you know, being able to to bring uh, some strength into the lineup, and you know, Columbus running a little bit under strength and looking second class. It was uh, it was tough to watch, but uh, you know, I think that uh, kind of you know talks about the, the the gulf between MLS, you know as a baseline and, and what Mexico is at a standard. And you know, that's just, it's, it's tough, but unfortunately that's the way it is. 
No, I know. And, and it's tough to when you go to a place like that. And obviously, like we've already said, Monterey, it's a strong side. It's a very good side. They've done well in this tournament. I mean, you have to overcome two goals within 23 minutes, you know, span. Max, Maximilio, Mac, you know, Max Meza finds a way to get a brace in this one early. Um, and you're trying to fight back and it's just, you know, probably a solid defense, a solid goalkeeper. Nothing against the Eloy room. Look, he has done very well since Columbus has signed him after his stint in the Gold Cup two years ago for, I believe, for um, Martinique, I think. No, I could be wrong. Where is he coming? Cur- Curacao. He, he Curacao. Was, he was with Thank Curacao. You. Room room has been very good, and he was an excellent pickup. But you know, I I think that you know, I I think that you know Columbus made it look competitive, and it was it was interesting to see that um, you know the the kind of response after that uh, unfortunate uh, spill and goal early on to to see you know a couple great chances, but you know I think once Monterey got that second. The rest of it, what what little error was uh, was left in Columbus, you know, just kind of escaped, and so you know, room's been good, and I, I'm sure that the team's looking forward to to league play and in, in, in having a singular focus. But it, it is disappointing, you know, you had your shot, and you lose five two on aggregate. No, it's true. I mean, you know, it's always the what if, what if uh, that second goal in stoppage time does not go in for Monterey back at Historic Cruise Stadium? You know, what if Columbus was able to get a clean sheet against them and maybe, you know, you could probably edge them on an away goal, but it's just one of those things where it's really frustrating to see. And, uh, you know, I, I've said this in my intro monologue. I mean, where, where does this benefit MLS when it comes to possibly maybe starting to schedule some of these matches to start the season, maybe middle of February, because we all know that depending on the opponent in the round of 16, whether it's a Central American side or Caribbean side, MLS sides will advance unless you get one that's, you know, gutsy and wants to take you down. Um, Do you think that would help? Because then that's at least, I would say four, six, seven matches in, before you get to play these Liga MX sides, and maybe, and we all know the finances are different, the structure, the financial structure is different between MLS and Liga MX, we all know this, but do you think maybe that would be a helpful thing for these MLS sides when they start in the Champions League? Well, I, I think having a chance to be in form would be fantastic. You know, I remember the old group stage, uh, you know, about a decade ago, and uh, that came uh, towards, you know, the, the dog days of the MLS season. And so a lot of these teams were, you know, if anything, maybe a little bit jaded. But still, you, you had a lot of teams, that, you know, you, uh, the, the crew went down and uh, uh, won at Saprissa when, you know, that, that really didn't happen. That wasn't something that happened to an awful lot. You know, they were competitive in Mexico, and I think a lot of other teams did that. You know, <laughs> then it came to the knockout side, and that's where – Again, we face the problem where, you know, they're not in season and, uh, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a challenge to, to put together a, a competitive team that, uh, that, that's uh, in form because, you know, you don't have any games in your belt. You know, this season, I think it's always going to be tough because, you know, with COVID, uh, things starting a little bit later, that uh, it's, it, it was unfortunate timing. 
uh, that you know, I, you know, the, the the Champions League teams got you know a week of extra preseason, but so many games were canceled. Uh, it, it made it challenging because you know uh, there's only so much that uh, you know two games against Real Estelí is going to do, uh, and then you get to Monterey, who's informed they're they're going to be ready to go, and it showed. You know, they were a well-oiled machine. Yeah, exactly. And that's the tough part right there. Um, and once again, it's just got to be ready, ready to go, and you got to do your best with what you've got to work with, unfortunately. That includes not being fully into your season with what? Um, just a couple of games here and there. It's, it's tough. But I think, you know, either CONCACAF has to change up how this knockout stage begins or MLS is going to have to maybe start the season a little more earlier. And I've said this before. I don't know if you call my intro monologue. I think that, you know, for those sides that are playing the northern end of our, of our nation, um, honestly, I think they're going to have to start in, you know, in the southern end of our country. I mean, we're going to have to have them play either in Atlanta or Miami, Orlando, Austin, Dallas, Houston, uh, both either L.A. teams, San Jose. I don't know if Sacramento is going to count when they come into the uh, league, but, you know, or go to Montreal or Vancouver because they got domes or retractable roof stadiums. I mean, something's got to be done here if we're going to try and get, you know, equal competitiveness for not just, you know, for the, what the Liga MX has to start off with, but, you know, they have an advantage, and it's really simple. They have an advantage. They're south of the border and they're south of the, the Mason-Dixie line. I mean, there's nothing you do about it. Yeah, the, I, I think the, the, the season's one, one hurdle. Um, I, I think the hope was with, uh, you know, TAM and all of these other things that MLS was starting to get a little bit more competitive on salaries and, you know, Zellerion's a, a $7 million, $8 million player from Tigres. And, you know, that's nice, but it's, it's only one player. Um, maybe that starts to change as, you know, you know the, the crew bought Alex Matan for, for $2 million and he's not expected to step in and be a starter. That maybe you start to fill out the roster. But between, you know, being in season and hopefully getting some players that are, uh, you know, a little bit – uh, a little bit better uh, towards the middle of that uh, that roster, you know that's the one-two punch that's going to have to make uh, MLS competitive in in uh, in Concacaf Champions League. Yeah, I agree. Uh, tough not seeing Bradley Wright Phillips having a uh, impact uh, in the second leg. I mean, I don't want to. I'm not trying to poo-poo Brad or anything. You know, he's always had magic in his boots and stuff like that. I mean, that 2018 run he had with the Red Bulls was amazing. Got two goals down in Mexico against uh, Club Tijuana. Uh, was an assist machine in the second leg at Red Bull Arena in the quarterfinals against Club Tijuana. I mean, he really had his way uh, in that tournament. Two goals, two assists. Uh, just really tough not to see him uh, you know, punch in a, a goal for the crew and at least to see him get more Champions League success. Yeah, I, I, I think, it, you know, a lot of the air is out of the, 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 the game uh, at that point that, you know, you don't have, 
you have a whole second half, but by that point you're down two nothing. You're down uh, a lot in aggregate, you know. So realistically, you have to get three goals, and you know you're you're pushing. And um, I, I think that that's a case where you know you're pushing. You have somebody like Ray Phillips who still has uh, a lot of talent and a lot of uh, skill at uh, 36. That you know maybe you get a, a goal and try to make something of this, but. I think it came pretty early on that, that the team was starting to manage, look to manage minutes, um, you know, when they realized that things were, weren't just going to go their way. So, you know, you have, uh, uh, you have some early substitutions like Artur leaving early and, and Offal leaving early as well. Um, and then, you know, you're, you're, you're getting maybe some more attacking in there, but there's only so much that, that, that they're that they're able to do at that point when you're when you're down two goals uh, and and realistically you need to get three goals on the aggregate. Yeah, no, that's true too. And unfortunately, reality sets in. I think we all know that. Once reality sets in, it's a tougher hill to climb. And trying to move forward as much as uh, they can. Caleb Porter, of course, uh, back involved in MLS play and. I mean, what does he need to do to uh, go out, repeat as uh, MLS Cup champions or at least maybe Supporter Shield to get back into uh, the tournament for next season? Yeah, I, I, think, that's, I think that's maybe the only worry. So, um, you know, you can see, like I said, they were trying to manage minutes uh, in that second half because, you know, D.C. United is coming to the Historic Crew Stadium uh, tomorrow for an afternoon start. And this is a case where, um, there's been a lot of Champions League hangover in MLS that, that the, it really messes with teams, uh, you know, all, all of this thing. So that was one of the things that I was surprised to see Zellerion in Mexico. Uh, I was thinking, okay, this is a chance. Your star doesn't even have to travel. He doesn't even have to, to worry about putting that on his legs. And you get him fresh going into, uh, into the game. But, you know, it meant so much to him that he's there. But, you know, even if they didn't play, even if you're not playing uh, the full 90 minutes, you're putting that, that airline miles on your legs. And, you know, hopefully this team starts to get healthy and uh, you, you start to have some people, uh, you know, able to come back into to the lineup because, you know, uh, you're, you're looking at someone like Kevin Molino being a difference maker and, and, and really kind of changing this team and making sure that they're able to, you know, not get stale. I think that's where Caleb Porter needs uh, needs to look now, uh, you know, teams that are, that have been successful, that don't have any sort of refreshing, you know, in, in them, you know, they'll get stale. And, you know, uh, Toronto faced that a couple of years ago, Champions League, and then all of a sudden you're missing the playoffs. You know, I, I don't think that this crew team is, is going to go that way, but you, you just can't stay, you just can't rely on, on, you know, inertia to get you there. You can't be stale and you have to be hungry. And I think of any coach, you know, Caleb Porter drives that so much. There, there's so much of, you know, he, he's not a master tactician. You know, he, he does all right. But really he drives that locker room and knows how to manage people. And so I'm, I'm really, interested to, really interested to see what they come out with on, uh, against D.C. Because, you know, this is a team that, that is uh, shut out, you know, 2-0-0 ties. And they've looked, uh, it, it looks like Champions League hangover both times. And so 
it'll be really interesting to see what they're able to come up with these next couple weeks as the Champions League recedes into view and, and they can kind of focus on the regular season. Yeah, I agree with you there. We'll see what happens. Patrick, thank you again as always. I'll talk to you during this uh, season and uh, tough loss, I know, but you know, hopefully Columbus will get back into it in 2022. So I'll talk to you soon. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. Patrick Gouldan, the massive report covering the Columbus crew, SB Nation. Now, uh, of course, uh, couldn't come on live. We do the recording with him uh, on the uh, very competitive, tough loss for the Portland Timbers and a very exciting second leg at the Stadio Azteca, but they could not defeat Club America. It was a 3-1 loss in the second leg. It was a 4-2 aggregate final in the second leg, and uh, it was really tough. Stumptown footy of SB Nation on the Portland Timbers. Kyle Garcia talked to me about it. Daniel Feuerstein back again here on the American Soccer Show, CONCACAF Champions League quarterfinals, second leg review show. And now we are over to the Pacific Northwest, the Portland Timbers, with a fantastic match against Club America down at the Estadio Azteca. Unfortunately, they fall three goals. Sorry about that. I uh, guess I downloaded the wrong audio there. I tried to uh, get it on there. My fault there. But, um, you know, it's not Kyle's fault. That's my fault. I thought I uh, had it down correctly. Uh, But let me just say this. Um, Great snap header uh, from uh, Club America. They took the lead at 2-1 on aggregate, 1-0 in the second leg. And then, of course, dubious penalty calls um, that happened uh, for both sides. Obviously, I thought the penalty called for Club America was not a penalty. Yes, there was contact, but I thought the Club America player brought down Bravo into the area, and that unfortunately uh, gave the penalty to Club America. And even with VAR... VAR, the referee basically just said, no, I'm not going to change my uh, decision. It's a penalty, and he decided to go penalty. Uh, You know, that's what VAR is there for, to fix an error. And there was an error, because I don't think that was a penalty. I did not think it was a penalty at all, but, you know, what are you going to do? The referee made up his decision, and, of course, uh, Club America converts it to make it 2-0 in the second leg, and that also made it 3-1 in the second leg, uh, excuse me, on aggregate. And then Mora gets fouled in the Club America penalty. Now, took the shot anyway, and then he got tripped up, but it didn't look like he got touched. But, you know, uh, in the eyes of Portland Timber supporters, it's a penalty, and that's fine. That's fine. I'm not here to argue what is or what isn't a penalty on the Timbers, but, you know, the truth is, is that um, I don't think I saw much contact at all on Mora, but it didn't matter. Diego Valeri did convert the penalty to make it 3-2 3-2 on aggregate, 1-1 on away goals, and you're thinking to yourself, if you're a Portland Timber supporter, they can get a second away goal here, and you tie the aggregate on three. You move ahead into the semifinals on away goals. And unfortunately, it didn't happen because all of a sudden, Club America, six, seven minutes later, they get their goal to make it 3-1 in the match 
4-2 on aggregate. Portland just didn't have enough to go out and uh, try to, well, they tried, obviously. It's just they didn't have enough to make it a, uh, a more of a challenge, unfortunately. Um, and it would have been 3-2, and then it had to be, you know, 3-3 in the match, and then it had to be 4-4 on aggregate and be ahead on away goals. So it's a tough night for the Timbers in the second leg. Um, I thought they did their best. I thought the referee was not good. I thought the referee uh, was poor for both sides. But still, though, Club America takes advantage, and Club America advances to the semifinals, and that would be it for the Portland Timbers. Uh, would have loved to give you the real, the, the actual uh, recording with uh, Kyle Garcia. Unfortunately, I downloaded the wrong one. That's my fault, and we'll try and get him. Uh, try and probably bring that back as quickly as I can. If not, I can't really do that on a different computer. So, but once again, Portland they did their best. Giovanni Savarese does his best, and the Timbers fall in this one. Three goals to one, four two on aggregate. And Club America advances to the semifinals of the CONCACAF Champions League. Here are the matches in August. And we'll find out the dates later on. We're not going to worry about it now. But Monterey will host Cruz Azul in the first leg in August. And then in September, Cruz Azul will host Monterey. Club America will host the first leg in August against the Philadelphia Union over at the Estadio Azteca. Oh, excuse me, at the Estadio Azteca. And then the Union will host Club America at Subaru Park in Chester, Pennsylvania in September as well. So don't forget, CONCACAF Champions League in English will be on Fox Sports 1, while on Spanish Language Sports Network, TUDN, Univision Deportes, uh, for Spanish language for those that are interested to hear about that. So that will be it for this show tonight. Join me this coming Monday, regular Four Scenes Fire American Soccer Show back on the air. Uh, for those of you wondering why there was no show on uh, last this past Monday, uh, I had a uh, eye procedure that had to be taken care of. I uh, had to admit to uh, a local hospital in Belleville, New Jersey. I'm doing all right so far. I'm on the road to recovery. Um, some scar tissue had to be removed off my retina. So uh, once again, I uh, had no, you know, I couldn't do a show. I had to go early in the morning to the hospital to have this uh, situation taken care of. So back to a regular 40s Fire American Soccer Show this coming Monday. Then next Friday, the NPSL Soccer Show comes back as we talk to those clubs and members of those clubs getting ready for uh, a big night here on the 40s Fire American Soccer Show for the NPSL Soccer Show. But I want to thank my guests. Uh, I want to thank Jason Longshore. I also want to thank Matt Ralph, Wayne Rollins, Patrick Gouldan. I want to thank Kyle Garcia for the recording. I want to say I'm sorry to Kyle Garcia for not downloading uh, his uh, recording. I thought I did. Unfortunately, did not. So, uh, Kyle, I'll make it up to you, I promise, as we move forward. So, but thank you very much, everyone, uh, for joining me tonight. And as always, please be careful. Please be safe. Always wear your mask. And let's hope this pandemic is over with as soon as possible. And as always, please, folks, always please enjoy your football. 
Thank you. Have a good evening. Take care. So long. And if I can just also say this, bye-bye for now. Have a good night, everybody. Take care and so long.